In a church in the deep south where the preaching style was more of a talk-back sort of style, the, uh, the pastor was getting the congregation excited over their prospective future. The preacher said, this church is like a crippled man who needs to get up and walk under the power of Jesus. And the congregation replied, let it walk, preacher, let it walk. And then the preacher said, this church is like Elijah on Mount Carmel, and it has got to run. And the congregation replied, let it run, preacher, let it run. And then the preacher said, well, well, this church has got to mount up on wings like eagles and fly. And the congregation responded, getting more and more enthusiastic, let it fly, preacher, let it fly. And then the pastor said, now if this church is going to fly, it's going to take money. And the congregation said, let it walk, preacher, let it walk. Churches and money have had a complicated relationship over the years. There are some who would say that all the church does is ask for money, right? And others might not even know that churches need money. And more than just the money a church might ask us to give, we might ask why in the world a church or a pastor or a sermon would ever deal with how I spend my money. I mean, is that even biblical? It doesn't really sound all that spiritual. Well, not only is it biblical, but what we do with what we have may very well be one of the best indicators of the health of our spiritual lives. I recently read that a man was planning on writing a biography of the Duke of Wellington, the man who led the Allied troops to defeat Napoleon at Waterloo back in the early 1800s. And when they asked this biographer what he had to add to so many others who had written so much about the Duke of Wellington and this whole situation, the biographer claimed to have an advantage because he had found an old account ledger that showed how the Duke spent his money. The biographer claimed that 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 insight would give him far better clues as to what the Duke thought was important than all of the speeches that he gave or the campaigns that he led or the letters that he wrote. And I wonder if someone wrote your biography, what would they write if all they had to go on was your financial statements? What would it say that you thought was important? What priorities would rise to the surface? What, what we do with what we have is vitally important. And so we want to get this right. We need to get this right. God says that it's vitally important. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be tackling this topic of being right on the money. Uh, unfortunately, many people aren't even aware of what God says about our finances, or if they are aware, they're not necessarily following his principles or, or playing by his rules. It reminds me of, of playing board games. You, you, anybody enjoy board games? Couple three. It's kind of, kind of getting a resurgence here lately. Um, I thought when, uh, when uh, Sweets and Geeks went in up the street there, and they've got a big thing for board games and buying and playing and all that, and I thought, well, that'll last about a week. And uh, man, what was it? A couple months ago, I went by, well, around Christmas, I, I went by on a Sunday morning coming here, and people had camped out, and there was a line down the, and around the corner, because there was something going, I mean, they are always, I, I drive past it every day almost, and it's always packed. But part of it is that resurgence, it's not the overpriced candy, it's the resurgence of the, uh, uh, the, the board games. Well, growing up, I, we 
played board games all the time. We, we had a closet full of all sorts of games, Monopoly and Risk and Clue and, and Checkers, regular and Chinese Checkers. We, we had Yahtzee and Connect Four and Sorry and, and Battleship, and we'd play Scrabble and Boggle and Uno and Skip Bow. I mean, so many games, and I could name just as, as many more. We, we had a good time together. We didn't take things too seriously. We didn't, it didn't usually result in, in family squabbles. Uh, but someone had to win, right? That, that, that person, that was the person that, that got all the pieces around the board first or, or got their, their, their marbles into the right spot first or, or they un, had unloaded all their cards or, or they sunk the ships or they charged an exorbitant rent on Boardwalk and Park Place until everyone else was bankrupt, right? It, it, someone had to win. And, and all those games, in order for someone to win, all those games have rules to follow. Uh, so it all goes well. We've got a, we're, we're agreeing when we sit down that we're going to follow these rules in order to play this game. Uh, you, I'm, I'm usually, it's a little bit of a transparent moment, I'm usually the guy that grabs the box top and reads it to the group so that we're all aware of exactly how the rules are going to be followed in this game. And if there's a question or a discrepancy, that box top is never far away from me so that I can bring it back so we can make sure that we're... Fo- now, the only time that that doesn't work is when there are house rules, right? And so maybe you've played this game for a long time and so you've developed... I mean, there's, there's so many different ways that we can treat free parking, right, on, uh, on Monopoly. And, and uh, so you got to agree to the rules. Uh, when, you, when all the participants sit down around the table, you agree to the rules of the game before you start. You, you won't be successful if you're following the rules for Candyland when everyone else is playing Monopoly, right? We're, we've got to be playing by the same rules. You have to know what game you're playing and what the rules are if you want to win in the end. And I think that's true in life. We have to play by God's rules if we want to win by God's standards. Unfortunately, a lot of people, I think, are living life by their own rules, and they don't realize that maybe they're playing the wrong game, so to speak. They may think they're winning, but it's all temporary. Here are some of the rules that I think some people, some guiding principles, I guess, that, that, that a lot of people live by. Um, uh, we'll just, I'll just go down. I've got four of them here. I'm sure there's a lot more, but uh, for, the, for, for our purposes today, we're just going to look at these four. This is my life and my stuff, and I can use it however I choose. It's up to me to make the most of my life. I've earned what I have, and I'm always striving for a little bit more. I deserve the good things in life. Uh, I, I have a right to be happy. A lot of people live by those rules. It's pretty common. A natural view of life is a, is a view from my perspective. It's all about me, right? How does this affect me? How will this benefit me? Am I, re- I am responsible for me. I can do what I want. And that's how we win the game according to our own rules. But, but maybe true success doesn't come by following our own rules. Maybe God defines winning a little bit differently. Before we look at God's guidelines uh, for, for life and for being right on the money, I, I want you to see that there's something else that all these games have in common. At some point, at some point, the game is over, right? Uh, once someone gets all the money or gets rid of all their cards or, or scores the most points, all the stuff is gathered up and and it goes back in the box, and the box goes back in the closet, and we go back to living life. It was just a game, and it didn't last. 
Comedian Stephen Wright said years ago, I intend to live forever. So far, so good, he said. At, at some point, though, this, this game of life will be over and all the stuff that we've been playing with will go back in the box. And so we have to get this right. We, we have to be right on the money. It's, it's a matter of eternity, right? Of life and death, so to speak. And so to under, we have to understand how God wants us to play the game, to, to live by his principles, uh, especially in this arena of, of, of financial matters. And, and we, we want to we truly win by his definition with things that will not just uh, be temporary and get loaded back in the box, but be eternal. And so I want us to turn to a passage in 2 Corinthians 9 today uh, to, uh, to, to, to look and see some of the principles that, that God has for us that, that, that maybe go against us, those, uh, those, those rules of the game that we looked at a minute ago. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ, and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for, for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This passage actually starts off sounding a lot like those self-centered rules of the game that I described a minute ago. There's, there's a lot in there about receiving blessings from God, right? About God providing a grace and, and giving in abundance and, and about being made rich in every way, right? And uh, there's a significant shift here, though, that, that really changes everything. Uh, yes, God blesses, but not just so that I can have everything I want, Instead, instead, it says that God blesses me so that I can be a blessing. Maybe, maybe that's the overarching principle uh, that, that informs how we should play the game. Maybe when we're trying to get right on the money, uh, we, we, we need to realize that, that the only reason that we're blessed is so that we can be a blessing. We're, we're going get, to get back to that in just a minute. But I want us to walk through those, those, uh, those four rules of the game that, that, that a lot of people live by these days and see how this passage kind of contradicts those and see what God's rules of the game are so we can get right on the money. The, the first one was, this is my life and my stuff and I can use it however I choose. But this passage says, God owns everything. Verse 8 talks about everything coming from God abundantly. Verse 10 describes God as the one who supplies the seed to the sower. Verse 15 culminates with the amazing expression, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. It's, it's a huge mindset shift that we have to get right if we're ever going to be right on the money. It, it, it's not your money. 
I'll say it again primarily for myself. It's not your money. Maybe we need to say it together. Maybe we need to say, and you need to say it out loud to hear yourself saying, it's not my money. Maybe let's, let's try that together. One, two, three. It's not my money. I don't know whether you meant it or not, but at least you said it. So, so we're going to, you're not the owner, just the manager of your life. Your whole life, including your money and your stuff, are all on loan from God. And that's a game changer, right? I mean, if you truly believe this and live by it, you'll be well on your way uh, to being right on the money. Uh, when, when what you have is, is on loan from God and, and he wants you to use it wisely, and so you treat your money differently if you know it's not yours. We do this here at church. You give money in the offering or through one of the 14,000 ways that we can, <laughs> we can receive your funds these days. Uh, we, uh, we have quite a process to make sure that we manage those donations well and with the utmost integrity, right? There are people that count the money and, and someone else records the donations in the computer and, and they make sure that those amounts match and, and then it's deposited and then those deposits are, are matched up by another person to, to make sure that everything's accounted for. And, and we have an annual budget of how the funds are going to be spent, and that budget is, is available to anyone at any time, and, uh, and our, our board meets and looks at that every time we meet and goes through how, is it, how, is, uh, the, the, how are the funds being spent, and if something isn't on the budget, then we don't spend it, and, uh, or we, we decide as a board whether that should be added to uh, the budget. We, we go through all sorts of things in order to make sure that we're managing the funds well. Why is that? Well, because it's, it's not our money. <laughs> We're just the stewards of that, right? You've given those funds, so they'll be used in certain ways. And, and, and we all then would recognize that it's really God's money. We want to be uh, of the utmost integrity in how we handle those funds in order to further the mission of the church, and we want to be faithful to all of that. Just one example, but uh, if you live with the understanding that God owns everything and is letting you use some, then it, it's just going to change what you do with what you have. Your, your life is not yours. It's a, it's a gift from God. He owns everything. It's one of the basic rules of the game that we have to live by if we're going to be right on the money. It's a, it's a game changer. If you're living by that, you're gonna, it's going to set you off in a, in a great trajectory. If you're not, it's going to be real hard to do anything else to get back on track until you settle that. It's not my money. It's not my stuff. It's it's bigger than that. It's not my life. God has given me this life to use, and I need to use it well. Well, the, the next rule that we, we said that, that a lot of people live by is, it's up to me to make the most of my life. Sounds pretty American. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'm going to accomplish things. Uh, everything is, is up to me. Uh, I'm going to make the most of my life. This passage says, though, that it's God that we need to trust. God can be trusted with our lives as we submit to him. Uh, there's an author, Tim Hansel, uh, uh, a book that he wrote is called Holy Sweat. Uh, but he tells, in that book, he tells about an experience that he had with his son, Zach. One day, the two of them were, were out in the country and they were climbing on some boulders and having a good time just being outside and, and uh, uh, Father Sunday and, and having a great time. And, and, and as they're uh, climbing around, uh, at one point, Tim uh, heard his son yell, hey, dad, catch me. 
And he turned around to see that Zach was already in the air, coming straight at him, right? And uh, so he, he turned around and, and barely got there in time and, and, and uh, kind of caught him and kind of didn't. And it almost looked like a, a circus act gone awry. And uh, they, they fell to the ground and no one was really hurt. But uh, <laughs> the, uh, the anxious dad, Tim, says to his son, Zach, can you give me one good reason why you did that? And the boy said, sure, because you're my dad. Do you have that kind of trust and confidence in your heavenly father? Verse 8 gives us every evidence that we can. Uh, It uses the word all or a form of it seven times. Seven times in one verse. All grace, all things, all times, all you need, abounding and abundant in every good work. God is able. He can be trusted. We can trust him with our lives. It's not just up to us. And, and if you're trusting him with your life, then you're trusting him with your finances. That's just part of it. And this is another game changer. In, in the midst of financial upheaval and, and, and recessions and, and stock market fluctuations and, and uh, uh, all sorts of inflation and all sorts of things that are going on in our world today, we can trust our heavenly father who loves us and provides what this passage says, all that you need. Trusting him gets you right on the money everything we have is his and it's not even up to us to do something good with it we trust him to do something good with what we have the next rule of the game that god wants us wants to to change is is one that goes against uh this this american dream type of life again it it says uh i've earned what i have and i'm always striving for a little bit more right? Uh, How much is enough? Well, just a little bit more, right? Uh, This passage makes it clear that God blesses us with enough. Verses 8 through 10 describe that God is the source of all things good in our lives. We saw that a minute ago. Uh, The abundance and the blessings that we enjoy come from him. And acknowledging this should produce a thankful heart, and it should also produce satisfaction and contentment. I I can be confident that I have enough. There's a book called The Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel, and he, and he tells this little story in there. He says, at a party given by a billionaire on Shelter Island, Kurt Vonnegut informs his pal Joseph Heller that their host, a hedge fund manager, has made more money in a single day than Heller has earned from his wildly popular novel Catch-22 over its whole history. And Heller responds, yes, but I have something he will never have. Enough. And later in the chapter, the the, the same author says, modern capitalism is a pro at two things, generating wealth and generating envy. But life isn't any fun without a sense of enough. Always striving to earn a little bit more will not lead us to be right on the money. Recognizing that our blessings come from God and being content in those things, in those blessings, changes the rules of the game. God is blessing me, and that's, that's amazing and, and fantastic, and we celebrate that. Uh, but then we can't look at, well, God blessed me here and here, but don't you, God, don't you think we need to, can't we kind of pony up a little bit over? God blesses us with enough, and our blessings should lead us to gratitude and contentment. Former Nazarene General Superintendent Stan Toller uh, wrote about these blessings from God because we can get get distracted pretty quickly. He says, I would like to bring a bit of caution here on the subject of material blessings. 
God cares for our needs just as he cares for the flowers of the field and the birds of the air, but the object of material blessings can get unclear in a hurry. Some things we consider blessings are actually distractions. The very things we praise God for distract us from serving him, reading his word, and growing in relationship with him. When we give thanks to God for material blessings, let us keep the proper perspective. Let us praise him for food, shelter, and family. You can even praise him for high-speed internet and satellite TV. Just don't get distracted by them. We're blessed, and, and God is the source of those blessings. God's blessings are enough. Our passage here says they're abundant. So we have to be content with who we are and what we have because God blesses us with enough. Well, there's, there's one, more, uh, one more rule that, uh, that I think God wants to turn on its head as we try to get right on the money. Uh, I deserve the good things in life. I have a right to be happy. Our passage instead says, as I told you a little while ago, and this is kind of where we've been leading, I am blessed to be a blessing. Verse 11 tells us how this works. We're made rich in every way. Why? So that we can be generous on every occasion. It's not just that I'm, I'm getting all this because God blesses me and he loves me so much he's going to give me all this stuff. Well, we're made rich in every way so that we can be generous on every occasion. And that goes against a lot of people's understanding of the rules of the game. Usually our blessing intake doesn't necessarily match our blessing output, right? We, we I don't know, do we hoard blessings for ourselves? That's not... That's not why God blesses us. You're blessed to be a blessing. And not begrudgingly, being a blessing is being generous. I mean, that's, that's a blast. I don't know if you've ever been a part of doing anything like that. It's, it's a game changer. Verse 7 says that, that God loves a cheerful giver. That word cheerful can be translated hilarious or uproariously delighted. So when you hit the button on the computer and send money to the church or, or when you put uh, something in the box there in the back, would you say that it's an you are uproariously delighted to do that? Uh, this says that we, we can be and maybe we should be. We, we are uh, delighted and it, it's hilarious to give to bless others. Well, I ran across a story that, that I think illustrates this well. There's a couple who, who have what, uh, they've adopted what they affectionately call their Waffle House ministry. Every month, uh, they, they get a bonus check, and it's usually several hundred dollars, and they decided that they, rather than putting that aside for themselves, they're going to use that for their blessing money. And so they go to the local Waffle House and they pray before they go in that they'll get the right server, that, that maybe they'll be able to bless. And, and uh, they, the, I read about a time recently when, when uh, they went in and, and uh, did this and their, their server was a, was a young, single, pregnant woman who, who just seemed stressed. And I think you'd be stressed too if you were young, single, pregnant, and working at Walmart, uh, Waffle House, right? Uh, they, they finished up their meal, uh, they, they, they had had some talk with, with her, they left their money for the bill along with a $400 tip on the table. And then they went to the parking lot, got in the car, and just watched through those big windows, right, at, at, at Waffle House. And uh, they saw the, the waitress go to the table and then was shocked and then elated and then started crying and they laughed and they cried and they thanked God for the wonderful gift of being able to be a blessing to someone else. I think that qualifies as hilarious giving, right? 
the, the, the joy that jumps off the page from 2 Corinthians 9 that we read together today leaves no doubt that it is a joy to be able to give and give and give, knowing that God continues to give and give and give as well when we are right on the money. When we play life by our own rules, it's temporary. And it it doesn't end well. I mean, you might end well in life, but in eternity, maybe it doesn't doesn't end well. We, We may think that we've won, but... But when the game is over, everything goes back in the box. There's not a whole lot of this life that goes with us that is eternal, right? But being right on the money has eternal significance. It it lasts. Uh, Look at the last few verses there in in 2 Corinthians 9. It says, people will thank God because of you. The people will worship because of your generosity. You'll draw people to prayer. Following God's principles, his rules of the game, leads to great things that will last forever. So, so get these rules of the game fixed in your life. Not fixed like, fixed like, like the, put them there as the primary thing. These are ways that we need to live life. Get, God owns everything. He can be trusted. He blesses us with enough. And when we're blessed, it's so that we can be a blessing to others. If we start living with those principles, we'll be well on our way to being right on the money. 